Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There, they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The context of our passage today is Jesus has risen from the dead after having died for the sins of the world in a public way, buried. Three days later, the tomb is empty. 
And he begins to show himself alive by infallible proofs to his followers. So in our story today, two of his followers, they're not part of the 12, but they're maybe part of the 70 or beyond of his followers, were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles. And they were talking about this rumor they had heard, this testimony they had perceived of the empty tomb and people that had begun to see him and wondering, you know, what went wrong? We thought he was a Messiah. You know, we're still under Roman dominion and all that. And the Lord approaches them and says, what's going on, basically? And they said, you don't know what's happening. And so they told him all about Jesus with their eyes not being open yet to who he was standing there with them while they're walking. And so he rebukes them. He says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, there are literally dozens of obvious prophecies about the Lord Jesus in the book or collection of 39 books we call the Old Testament, written centuries before he came to earth, that only he could have fulfilled all of them. If you took the laws of average, it would blow your mind. Let's say he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So to come up with an average for that, you take the population of the world and the number of inhabitants in Bethlehem and how many babies would be born there during the years he was alive, and you create an average there, one out of however many people. And then uh, growing up in Nazareth, the same thing, and immigrating to Egypt when he was little, the same thing. And you take all these averages, one out of so-and-so, and combine them. It is mind-boggling that one person will fulfill all of these predictions. But I want you to notice that it says he began at Moses, and all the prophets and expounded to them and all the scriptures concerning himself. They still didn't know who he was, but they were amazed at his teaching. And when they arrived at their home, they invited him to stay with them. So he did. And it came to pass, verse 30, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread. If this was the days of unleavened bread, he took unleavened bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them with after the fact significance. Remember before the fact of his broken body and shed blood he served his followers. So here he is the resurrected Lord still instituting this meal. He blessed, broke it, and gave it to them and then their eyes were open they knew him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while he walked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they got up and hurried back to Jerusalem in the dark of night, making the seven-mile journey through dangers to get back to the other followers to say, hey, we've seen him too. So two things I want to notice, that he expounded to them the scriptures beginning at Moses, the prophecies concerning himself that he had fulfilled, and then their response when he disappeared, was did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to 
Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Scriptures would be open to us today especially like never before. Lord, you know me. I need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is day one of a new series called Jesus in Genesis, the Roots of the Gospel. The first book of the Bible is called Genesis, which means beginnings. The Hebrew word bereshit is the beginning. It's the beginning book. It's the opening book. It's, it's Genesis. We get the word genetics or genes. Uh, you know, what we're made of comes from our beginning. So it opens with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Can you say a mess? And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we see Father, Word, and Holy Spirit here. In the beginning, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of God, the Father's Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, His Word declared, Light be, literally. And light was. Called it into existence. David wrote in his 33rd Psalm, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host, or all their large numbers. John began his biography of Jesus with these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or comprehended it. Psalm 119 has a verse that says, the entrance of God's word brings light. David also wrote in that psalm, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. So his word is our light. And the first thing the word created was light be, light be. So we want to look at a few things on this subject before we get into the nitty-gritty parts of the first verse of the Bible. Jesus in Genesis, the roots of the gospel. Everything is created by God's Word. We just saw that. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. The Bible doesn't start out with an argument. It just declares, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And he did this by the word of his mouth. So everything was created by God's word. God's word is our Lord Jesus Christ. We just read this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. God created everything with his word is another way of saying that. 
So there is the oneness of God, but there's also the witness of God. The Word is God, and the Word is with God. And so in his being, he created with his Word. Our Lord Jesus is creator of all things. To a group of believers in a town called Ephesus, a leader named Paul wrote these words in chapter 3, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Reckoning he was humbling himself. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the treasures that are in the Messiah that you cannot discover all of them. We're going to look at some today. Verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So Jesus, as God, is not a created being. Pre-existing his birth in Bethlehem, he is known as the Word of God. The Word of God has always been because the Word of God is God. God and his Word are one. That make sense? And then that word became flesh, John 1 goes on to say, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, back to Ephesians 3, he says, he was called to make people know the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages, you could say worlds, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator. You see that? He is, Isaiah 53, he is the arm of God. If you work with your hands, you use your arms, right? So God creates all things with his word or with his arm. And he has preeminence over everything. Colossians 1.15, Paul again writes to a group of believers called the Colossians, talking about Jesus, says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, microscopic and macroscopic whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, spirits or physical beings or mental conditions, all things must submit to him. All things were created through him and for him. This is why Satan is no match for him. He's not God's opposite. He's a created being. He is before all things, and in him all things consist, or all things Sustained. So he's not only the creator of all, he's a sustainer of all. And when he wants to turn the lights out, there's no turning them back on. 
He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So if he is God and he has always been, how can he be the firstborn? Because he's the first to rise from the dead, to come from the matrix of a tomb, never to die again. There have been other resurrections, miracles beforehand and since then, but they all had to die again. He's still alive, and he's the first fruits of those who do die in our hope of resurrection. He's the first one, and we're going to follow him. And he's done all this that in all things he may have preeminence. So he's three things. He's creator, he's sustainer, and he's the firstborn from the dead. And you say preeminence, supreme, the greatest. Now, to contrast that, yet from creation, he was destined to die for us. What? thought he was the greatest. He is. But as God, he foreordained himself. He indeed was foreordained in Peter's first book. 120. He indeed, talking about Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So as creator, as maker, as sustainer, he came to be the firstborn from the dead. But to do that, he had to die. You can't resurrect till you're dead, right? So this plan was made before the foundation of the world. Revelation has this little phrase, that Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. When God says it, you can take it to the bank. He calls those things which be not as though they were, right? Told Abraham, you're a father of many nations, years before he had the first child. So, centuries before, thousands of years before it would come to pass, Jesus, the Word of God, was destined before the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, from creation, be the lamb who was slain. Keep that in mind. And we see this in this passage. Now, I'm not going to treat the whole book of Genesis the way we're treating it today, but first things are so significant, so important, that I want us to put our thinking caps on and to stay with what we're doing today Sometimes, you know, when you speed read, you read the first sentence, okay, you know what that paragraph's about. You read the second sentence, you know what that paragraph's about. So if you could just pay attention to the rest of the presentation, because there may be some things you've never heard before, and you'll miss them. And I don't want to show them again. You'll be able to watch it again online later. Anyway, watch this. Have you ever wondered what Jesus meant when he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega? This is another way of saying, I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. 
but he is really saying so much more. Jesus was declaring, I am God. I am that part of God called the Word. The reference to the first and the last comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 44 6 says. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me, there is no God. So being the first and the last, is clearly claiming to be God. Which Jesus claimed. Now that we have clarified who the first and last is, let's move on. When John wrote, in the beginning was the word. He's trying to draw the reader's attention, back to the beginning, of the book of Genesis. For the beginning was, when God created all things by his word. As you are aware, most of the New Testament, was originally written, in the ancient Greek. However, Jesus spoke Aramaic. So, while John writes in Revelation, I am the Alpha, and the Omega. What Jesus would say in Hebrew or Aramaic? Would be. I am the Aleph, and the Tav. Alpha, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last. But the first letter, of the Hebrew. Is the Aleph. And the last, is the Tav. The real essence of what Jesus meant can only be revealed, when we translate it back into Hebrew. And it's then that we discover, a wonderful secret. This phrase did not originate with the book of Revelation. But actually comes from the very first sentence, in the book of Genesis. So when Jesus says to John, I am the Aleph and the Tav, he is in fact clarifying, a mystery that has existed since the Torah, was first written. The first sentence of the Bible is most frequently translated, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John's Gospel also begins with, in the beginning. And, right in the middle of the first Hebrew sentence of Genesis, is an untranslated word. Which you will only find, in the Hebrew Bible. In fact, it is untranslatable because it is not a word at all. It is simply, the Aleph, and the Tav. These two letters, have remained a mystery to the Jewish scholars for years. Actually, it is to this Aleph, and Tav, that Jesus was referring. Just as the book of Revelation begins and ends with Jesus saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So too does the Bible also begin, with those very same two letters, which refer to the word of God himself. The Aleph, and Tav. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being, that has come into being. Jesus is the Word of God. He is God's Word, from the first letter of the alphabet, the Aleph, to the last, the Tav. He is right there with God in that very first sentence of Genesis. He is the living, word of God from Genesis, to Revelation. He is the mouth of God, and when he speaks, things are created, by his words. In him is life, because he is the one who spoke God's words, and brought us into being, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's not all. Amazingly the very first Hebrew word in Genesis, 
depicts the whole plan of God's salvation, for man. The original Hebrew, is not the same as the Hebrew we have today. But has evolved, from Hebrew pictographs. These original Hebrew letters, bring amazing insight, into the meaning behind God's words. The first word in the Bible is the Hebrew word, Barashit. Translated as in the beginning. This is how the word, Barashit, looks in the original pictographs. It's comprised of the Hebrew letters, Bet, pictured as a house, or tent, and means house, as in the house of God. Rish, is pictured as a man's head, meaning the first or highest person. Aleph, is pictured as an ox head, meaning God and strength, as in the Lord is my strength. Shin, is pictured as, two teeth, meaning to consume or destroy. Yod, is pictured as an arm, from the fist to the elbow, meaning my hand or works. And Tav, is pictured as two crossed sticks, meaning a covenant, or mark. The very first two letters of Barashit, the Bet, and Drish, form the Hebrew word Bar, which means son, as in my son. The Aleph is God. The Shin means destroyed. The Yod is the hand or works. And the Tav, are the two crossed sticks, which mean covenant. In John 2:19, Jesus said to the Jews, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I, will raise it up. Then the Jews said, This temple was forty-six years building, and will you rear it up, in three days? But he spoke, of the temple, of his body. Look at the symbol, for Bet. It is the very house, of God. In the form of man, the highest person. And amazingly these two letters together, formed the word for son. Yes indeed the Son of God referred to himself, as the temple of God. And clearly we can see that in the very first word of the Bible, God's wonderful plan of salvation, was prepared. That the Son, of God, would destroy, the sinful works of our hands. On the covenant cross, of sticks. Isn't that astounding, that the first word of the Bible, could contain so much truth? Without doubt God's plan to save man, was there from the foundation of the world. And the book of Revelation, 13:8 confirms this by calling Jesus, the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Yes, from the foundation of the world. From the first word Barashit, spoken in Genesis. But, there is an even deeper meaning, to the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph, and Tav found in the first verse of Genesis. For in the original Hebrew pictographs, the Aleph, or Alpha, is portrayed as an ox head, meaning God, and strength. And the Tav, or, Omega, is the two crossed sticks of covenant. Yes in the Alpha, and Omega, we find the whole plan of God. That God himself, symbolized, by the ox head, would make a covenant with man, by the cross, of sticks. Yes my friend. God the word, became, like a sacrificial animal. The ox or lamb, which was slaughtered, as a sin offering. And he was placed, on that cross, of sticks. The Aleph, and Tav. The first and the last. Portrays the whole story of the Messiah. 
that God would place, his sacrificial animal, his strength, his leader, the Messiah, on a cross of sticks, as a sign, to mark, his covenant with man. It's absolutely astounding, that the ancient Hebrew, could tell the whole story of the Messiah, in two letters. And it's clear that the cross, was not originally a Roman symbol, but, a Hebrew symbol, which meant covenant. But the Jews wouldn't know this, unless they had studied the ancient Hebrew letter, Tav. When God told Moses to write the Aleph, and Tav, in the book of Genesis, and told the prophet Isaiah, that he was the first and the last. God himself was declaring. You see this Jesus, he is the Messiah. Who is going to die on the cross, for the sinful works, of your hands. He, is the creator, who was in the beginning. He is the perfect sacrificial animal, placed on the cross of sticks. He is my word. He is my covenant. He, is my signature, my Alpha, and Omega. And he, is your, salvation. So now we understand, why John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, was God. He was in the beginning, with God. So the Bible declares, that without the One, called, the Word, nothing would have come into existence. For the Word, is the part of God which spoke all into being. Okay. That's like drinking out of a fire hose. Give us a couple days. The sermon will be online. You can watch it again. In the meantime, you can do your own research. Just research the roots of our alphabet. And all the alphabets in the Western world go back to those primitive symbols, as does Hebrew. Uh, even the word alphabet. In, in Greek, the first two letters are alpha and beta. Put them together, you get alpha, beta, or alpha, bet, right? Uh, to our little children, we teach them their ABCs. Same way of saying alphabet. In Hebrew, the alphabet is the Aleph, bet, or Aleph, bet. You got that? Okay. This is the modern Hebrew alphabet. The first letter on the right is the Aleph, and the last letter on the lower left is the Ta. Now, they read from right to left. We think of that as backwards, but is it really backwards? I mean, the sun rises in the east and moves to the west. If you face north, it moves from right to left, right? So anyway, stretch your thinking there a little bit. So here's the first verse of the Bible. It basically says, in the beginning created God, and then there's that the Aleph and the Tav, the heavens and the earth. It literally says, better sheet, which means in beginning. In beginning. We say in the beginning because that's the beginning, right? So in beginning, created God. Aleph and Tav, they're together, is a, is a form of punctuation that I've learned points the word for God, Elohim, to the one who created in the beginning. Okay? Um, but they don't read it out loud, and they sure don't remove it from it because it ruins the meaning of the sentence. So, bara sheet, bara, Elohim, Aleph and Tav. So, bara sheet, 
starts with two letters, the bet and the rosh. Those two letters together, there are no, no vowels that are pronounced in, there's vowels that are pronounced in the Hebrew, but there's no vowels that are written. That's why the aleph, which we would call a vowel, is silent, but it, it, it affects the word. So, so bara, sheet, uh, the word, first two letters, bara, could mean sun, right? And the next word, created, you also have the same two letters, the bet and the rosh before the aleph, bara, sheet, bara, Elohim. So Hebrew poetry loves to do things with words. Like we wouldn't write, the painter painted the painting painfully, would we? But Hebrew writers love that kind of thing. And God chose to reveal himself to us through Hebrew. So Barashit, Bara, Elohim, Alpha Omega. Now the word Elohim can be translated judges, can be translated angels, but when you put the Aleph and Tav with it, this is the Elohim. And he, his name Elohim is revealed, I think, 31 times in Genesis chapter 1. Translated as God. It's a plural name. God in all of his multiple facets enable him to say, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So Bereshit, Bera Elohim, Aleph and Tom, the first and the last. So, here is the primitive variations of our alphabet and the Hebrew alphabet. The early ox head becomes a sideways A, we would call it an A, becomes our A, which we would call right side up. In this, if you picture it in the original letters, we see the gospel in the word Bereshit. The Son of God died. It's a sacrifice. With the Aleph being the ox head, that's a sacrificial animal. It reminds me of the story of Abraham we'll get to in a few weeks when he was asked by God to offer up his son as a sacrifice, his promised son, the miracle child, the gift boy, the young man. And Abraham, in his obedience, believed in God providing some remedy to the situation, be it resurrection or substitution. Substitution happened. God stopped him and showed him a ram in a thicket, in thorns, with his horns caught, that he took and offered as a sacrifice in place of his son. Within eyesight of that place, that place God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, which we often say the Lord provides. But literally, it says the Lord who sees. He saw Abraham's faith, and he saw to it that his will was fulfilled with the substitute death. And from that mount, the temple mount, Mount Moriah, you can see Mount Calvary, where God's son, the Ram of God, the Lamb of God, with thorns on his head, died as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, as revealed in Bereshit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that these details would interest us and that our hearts would burn within us to get to know you 
more and more and more. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for that person here that doesn't know you. I pray, Lord, that you would generate a hunger in their heart, that this word would be a seed for them to search for themselves the truth of the good news of Jesus. In Jesus' name. We have many forms of communication, snail mail, email, messaging, texting, faxing, telegrams. Does anybody do those anymore? Smoke signals, jungle drums. They're all forms of communication, the Morse code. God, centuries before those things were used to communicate, communicated through the Hebrew alphabet the truth of the gospel. And he did that for you to get the message across to you and I years before there was any other technology of communication. Let's worship the Lord.
you are not an accident and you are not here by accident. The Father has set his eyes on you to draw you into a relationship with himself. He knows everything. He's not shocked that you're here. He's not like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they went to church today. He knew you were here. He set you up. And yet there's some things he doesn't know. Yeah, God knows everything, but there's three things he doesn't know. He doesn't know of a sin he doesn't hate, and he doesn't know of a sinner that he doesn't love. And he doesn't know of a better time to save the sinner that he loves from the sin that he hates than right now. And he doesn't know of any other way to do that than through a relationship with his son that begins by calling on his name. And here's how you do it. We're going to show you. Let's do it together. Jesus, Jesus. I call on your name. Save me. I believe you died for my sins and have risen from the dead. I give you my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. Just giving your life like that. Express your faith in Him. Well, I don't know if I believe the gospel. Well, if you find yourself believing it more than you ever have before, that is saving faith dawning in your heart. And now, take the faith that's in your heart, confess it out your, out, out your mouth, out of your Amen. You can do it today. Amen. So I'm going to dismiss you and send you out as tigers into the world for the Lord. But if you want to give your life to Jesus today, you're in a room full of people that would love to know it. Just turn to someone and say, can you pray with me? Come to know him today, amen. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord causes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you his peace. Now walk in it. Believe in it and enjoy the freedom that Jesus died to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, tigers. Amen.